Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I had the opportunity to sit down with an amazing ministry leader this week, Chip Ingram. Chip has served as a pastor, author, and teacher for over three decades. He's the founder and teaching pastor of Living on the Edge and reaches more than a million people every week. He's written several books, including his latest entitled Discover Your True Self, How to Silence the Lies of Your Past and Actually Experience Who God Says You Are. Now, in this episode, Chip and I talk about overcoming misbeliefs that we, sometimes unknowingly, cling to as ministry leaders. Chip opens up about some of the ways God led him to discover his true self as a Christ follower, a husband, a father, and a pastor. Chip is such an encourager and a blessing to the church, and this interview is a gift to us as pastors and ministers. You will definitely want to share this with your ministry friends. So now, won't you please join me in my conversation with Chip Ingram. Chip, welcome back to the Church Leaders Podcast. It's always a joy to have you with us, brother. Thanks, Jason. It's good to be with you under these wild and crazy circumstances that we're living in. Um, Wow, we need to stick together and encourage one another as pastors and church leaders. Exactly, exactly. Um, In your most recent book, Discover Your True Self, you you actually pose a, a great question, right? And the question is, are you still living like a spiritual orphan? So Chip, let me ask you, how how do we live as if we're spiritual orphans? Can you kind of give us some examples? Well, I think, um, yeah, I, I use the illustration of actually it was a, a mentor of mine who was kind of one of those last kids taken out of an orphanage well beyond being cute, ended up um, like at eight or nine years old into a very loving Christian home, had abandoned all those years, and he learned to he'd steal food and you know hide it in his room. And when he got there, he had a bedroom, there was a refrigerator, nice clothes, and he would come in and sleep on the floor and they would find food that he'd taken out of the refrigerator and he would hide it because even though he had a new life, he had all the resources he needed. He had so been accustomed to see himself as a needy person that if he doesn't take care of things, that was unworthy of sleeping on a bed. And I think for a lot of believers and those of us as pastors, you know, we teach God's word. We long for people to see who they are in Christ. And yet what we realize is so many of them live out of their own strength, their own resources, trying hard to please God. Um, And so instead of this new abundant life that we all talk about, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you are his child, a kid of the King, that you are sealed with the Spirit, you're valuable, you've been redeemed. I think an awful lot of Christians have somehow figured out unwisely the Christian life is trying to be hard to be a little bit better person, try to be nice, don't do any of the really big, big sins, and be often very, very frustrated and not live out of who they already are. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's great, Chip, and and we see some of this um, adoption language, the Apostle Paul, um, specifically in uh, the letter to the church at Ephesus, um, uses this this language, and and you can you kind of walk us through 
this idea of you know the Roman process of adoption because that's what would be coming to mind um, yes. as the you know the, the early church is listening to this letter being read. Can you walk us through that and help us understand um, how that context helps us um, and really informs our understanding of yeah, I think when, of adoption. When we, when we read that passage, and then even unless other pastors are way farther down the road than me. For years, you you know, you read Ephesians chapter one, it's a super long sentence, and you've got this capstone that says, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, and then it goes down through, you know, we're chosen in him to be adopted, redeemed, secure, inheritance, on and on and on. And um, sometimes we read that through our own lens, and, you know, for us, adoption is, isn't it a cute little baby, and, you know, it's mostly small children, uh, where the fact of the matter in the Roman world uh, adoption was mostly done when you adopted another adult. And the reason you adopt an adult is you didn't have an heir. And so actually two of the Caesars did this. And then who would you adopt? You would want to adopt someone that had, you know, potential that carries on your lineage, that would be smart, good looking, well-educated. In other words, it's what they would bring to the table and you would adopt them. And so when Paul uses this language, you know, the lights are going on. And then, of course, when you would be adopted into a wealthy family, well, your world, uh, even all of your past debts were eliminated. Hmm. Um, you got a new name, and literally the old person literally didn't exist anymore. So whatever crimes you committed, whatever debts you had, all of that was wiped away. You became in this new family. And you can imagine reading this as a first century Christian and saying, oh my, I, I'm now a part of a family with all these privileges with in Jesus' family and all that I will ever need, he has promised to take care of me, would have been just a mind-boggling thought uh, for the average New Testament first century Christian. And, and I think that is the message, right? We, right. we, don't, we don't live for God's love. We live out of God's love. Mm. Um, but I think for many of us, even in ministry, I mean, if we could talk really honestly as fellow church leaders and pastors, there's so much of our DNA that is performance-oriented, and we're, we're living for God's approval instead of living from God's approval. And that's easy to get intellectually, but... The reason I wrote this book, and it's been a 20, 25 year journey of renewing my mind and trying to take those truths and sort of flip them upside down and say, if that's true, then what big need does it meet so that I could begin to get this from my head to my heart and live from my position, not for God's approval? Yeah, that, that's powerful. And, and one of those elements that you mentioned in that adoption is it's not just the the privileges and the inheritance that we're adopted into, but it is kind of leaving what was behind. Uh, those things that, that might have um, been debts or might have held us down or restricted us behind, um, you know, in our past, leaving those and not letting those creep back back in. How can we um, avoid a allowing those things from our past to continue to almost kind of haunt us and prevent us from experiencing God's best for us? Well, you know, I think understanding who we are is the first step. And, and I would, I'm just going to venture to say to fellow pastors, as they look at the churches they're pastoring, that the average believer doesn't have a clue of who they are in Christ. 
you know, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. A lot of them will have justification down. Yes, legally this happened. But in terms of you've been chosen by God, uh, you've been redeemed. So you've been bought with a price. You've been adopted with all the privileges. You have been sealed with the spirit. So you are secure. You are his inheritance. I mean, that's how valuable you are. You have this calling. Those tend to be big theological words that we use in seminary and Bible schools, but I don't think the people in our churches have translated that into how deeply valued the love they currently are, and, and now I live out of that. I'm overwhelmed with God's love. And so, first of all, you have to know what's true of you, and, and then trying hard. If trying hard would make us more holy, then we would probably all be a lot more holy than we are. <laughs> it's not that there's no effort. But the scripture says, don't be conformed to this world, that old baggage, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that, and then you test and approve this new life, the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And so in the book, what I do is literally my wife and I, we were in marriage counseling. Not, shame to admit that. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. Her dad was an alcoholic. We, we had more baggage than you could imagine. <laughs> and so as we went to some Christian marriage counseling the first couple of years, you know, we believed a bunch of lies. And so what I did is I took these truths and I, and I flipped them. So, in, you know, if you're chosen, then you're wanted by God. Well, the opposite is rejection. Mm. And so we, I, we wrote some things down that, of these lies that we believe about why we're rejected. And then I wrote them on cards and then I flip them over and then I give the truth, then the passage from Ephesians. So what I found was for two years, we sat on the couch and we would read these cards over that really told us who we are in Christ, that gave us the kind of security to begin to repair our marriage and then to live from who we are instead of for or gaining the approval of God or people. And let me just quickly add, and we are still on that journey. So, right, right. you know, I, I would love to say, man, man, we're done, man, and I've got it. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, what I can say is I cannot hardly recognize the woman that I'm married to compared to the woman that reviewed those cards. Hmm. It, her, her self-image, and she was so damaged. Now, she was smart, and she was beautiful, and she had a ton going for her. But when she looked into the mirror, what she saw was an unwanted, unlovely, rejected person by father and by in other situations that made her see herself as, you know, you can't give love if you don't love yourself. Right. You know, loving your neighbor, you know, is probably the biggest need for the church today in our world. Right. But, you know, the line is love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we have a lot of dysfunctional love toward ourselves, but I don't mm. know that we have in Ephesians chapter one, two, and three love, um, that we see ourselves the way God sees us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. And some of these hangups that we have, I know one of, one of them, and you touch on this in the book is, uh, this idea of being a people pleaser. And, uh, it seems that a lot of, a lot of us pastors and ministry leaders struggle with this, um, this idea of being a people pleaser. How do you think this struggle in particular has affected your your pastoring and your ministry oh let's not talk about that jason let's, <laughs> let's just talk about other people let's keep this a great <laughs> oh it is um you know we we ended up going to marriage counseling because we couldn't communicate and we couldn't resolve anger and then we got to 
deep misbeliefs and my wife's was uh, that she was unworthy, insignificant, didn't matter. How could anyone really love her? So she couldn't accept my love and we had a lot of issues. And so we, we get these cards, you know, about, you know, I need other people to like me and accept me to be an okay person. And then at the bottom you write, that's a lie and you flip it over. I would like everyone to like me and accept me, but I don't really need them to because I'm already accepted in Christ. And then we put the passage. And so, you know, we've got a bunch of cards like that about people pleasing in other areas. So here I am being the good husband with this wife who's been through so much and she needs all this help. And so, so as we're reviewing these cards in the morning and I'm doing it thinking I'm, I'm, I'm going to help her. Right. And I get into it about three months and I turn to her literally with tears coming down my cheeks saying, honey, these cards aren't for you. Uh, honestly, um, I believe all these lies. I, I've just become a workaholic and a people pleaser. I've got rewarded for my misbeliefs. I, mm. I've really, I've really become, I mean, I get up earlier. I go later. I mean, if anybody calls, I fulfill everybody's expectations. Um, but I, I, I'm not doing it out of an overflowing love of Christ. I'm doing it because if they, if, if they, I feel rejected if, if I don't perform all the time. And so, yeah, it, it actually quote, help me become, you know, pretty successful, quote, externally. And a lot of that came from, you know, when you grow up in an alcoholic family, uh, man, you, you learn to read the tea leaves pretty quickly about, in a, in what, is this going south or is someone going to get mad or someone going to blow up? And so you learn to please people and what they want. And so it was really hard for me. Uh, I mean, so much so, the, the first pastorate, you know, instead of a mega church, it was a mini church outside of um, outside of Dallas. I mean, like 35 people out in the country. And the actual little building was outside of this tiny little town that didn't even have a stoplight. And, um, and so, I mean, think 35 people. And I work like 85, 90 hours <laughs> if, 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 for, for 35 people. Now, I learned 34 of them were related. <laughs> and they've had seven pastors before me in the last you know, like five and a half years. Um, and, and they actually taught me to be a pastor. It was a great experience uh, eventually. But I was so people-pleasing. I literally uh, got exhausted, went to the hospital. They did all kind of tests. And I remember sitting with the doctor and my wife was there. And he said, you don't even have an immune system. Tell me about your schedule. I mean, well, you know, I get up at 4.30 or 5 and blah, 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 blah. I do this, I do this. And, and he, just, he just looked at me like, if you keep living the way you're living, you're going to die really young. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't a Christian, but he was a wise guy. He goes, I don't know much about God or Christianity, but I couldn't imagine a God that would want you to live like this. And, you know, my wife's there nodding her head going, right. man, he's an idiot. I mean, we would be at dinner. And we're eating dinner and the phone would ring. I would spring up. I got to get, you know, and, and every need was a, was a calling. And it was reviewing those cards and setting boundaries and literally coming to believe that God actually loves me apart from my performance. He actually loves me for me. And I developed my own set of ministry cards um, because I believe so many lies about how I had to come through for people. And every message had to be a home, forget a home run, had to be a grand slam. And, right. 
And it was, um, it, it caused burnout and struggle and dysfunction. And uh, so it was a journey. In, in fact, I remember um, thinking for years, I, I'd sort of developed uh, this plan. And, and what I did is I would, I love to study the Bible and I'd study the whole book and I would outline the whole book and I would graph it. And I would realize this is the answer. And a big change happened in my preaching when I realized you know, telling people, okay, we're going to study Ephesians. Verse one, here's the three first verses. The Greek word for the is the, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and spending like, you know, 45 messages in a little book. And I realized it wasn't written that way. And what I realized, every New Testament book was written almost without exception to answer a problem or an issue. And so what I did is I thought, okay, now I have the answer then I played a game I called spiritual jeopardy and I would flip it over. <laughs> and then I would say, what is the, what is the greatest need in our culture in our day that, that this is the answer to? So literally in the book, rather than, you know, someone picking it up and thinking, Oh, this is an exposition of Ephesians, which it is the first chapter is on rejection <laughs> because it's the opposite of being wanted. Uh, the next, the third chapter is on, What's it feel like to be insignificant, a nobody going nowhere? And, you know, then the flip side of that is you're adopted, you're valuable, right. or you're redeemed. And so what I tried to do was take the felt needs that we all struggle with and identify and talk about how we get there and the lies that we believe, and then flip it around and help someone actually grasp these great doctrines of redemption, of election, of inheritance, of the sealing of the spirit, of our calling. And they get out of like, all that's true. Well, I'm, I'm glad it's true. I mean, it's really important, but I had a hard time figuring out what's that got to do with my everyday life and those deep issues where I struggle. And so that has been the goal is to help ordinary, regular people, um, be able to look into the mirror of their soul and say, of course I struggle with rejection, but I'm deeply wanted because God chose me. You know, of course I feel insignificant at times, but I am competent. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And as you renew your mind, you know, my kind of 35 year testimony since I started on this journey is you really can change. Hmm. That's good. That's good. You know, Chip, I, I, I always appreciate just your openness and um, how you how you just kind of share uh, your experience walking with Jesus, right? And um, in, in the the struggles that you have, the the lies as, as you shared um, that you were believing, and how how the Holy Spirit helped you overcome those, and and that's not just a you know a flip of a switch necessarily, but it's it's the life of a disciple, right? So yes. it's ongoing, following Christ on an ongoing basis. So I, I'm, I'm curious, when it comes to pastors and ministry leaders, uh, do you feel that it is more challenging for us to kind of identify some of these lies um, or misbeliefs that we're kind of clinging to? And if so, why, why do you think that's a challenge? You know, I think it can be. Uh, I think there's such pressure and, you know, I'm, I, I want to keep thinking like I'm a, whatever age it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm an old ex 
athlete and coach. And so I, I want to be a younger version of that. Well, I'm getting to the point where I can't be a younger version of anything. You know? So it's like, hey, Chip, you know, you're in your 60s, buddy. I mean, you know, uh, 60 is the new 32, you know, <laughs> forget all that stuff. You know, I've been doing this for a while. And, and I think from when I began pastoring, even to today, the last 35 years or so, there's an increasing pressure for um, pastors to be not only multi-gifted, but to have it all together. I think we've seen kind of the rise and then the suspicion of the megachurch. We've seen the rise of um, the Christian culture, Christian music, Christian this, Christian that, and then a whole generation saying, hey, you know, what I really want is authenticity. And so I, I think it's been a very confusing time. And then I think that's really important. It, it began with my generation, but I would I would venture to say over half of all the pastors come from broken homes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when, when you haven't had uh, a deep sense of, love and encouragement. I mean, one of my, I, I tend to write and study on things where I know, man, I'm lost. I mean, I wrote my thesis in seminary on the role and responsibility of transmitting uh, values in the family for the father. And I did it because I thought, number one, it's a really long thing to write. And number two, I mean, I love my dad, but it was World War II, Guam, Iwo Jima. I mean, he got wounded. He had anger issues. I had no idea what a Christian dad was. Hmm. And so, so my point is a lot of those family of origin issues, they're really deep. And I think sometimes we've found, at least in the first maybe 10 years when we're pastoring, we're working out a lot of our own issues and finding a lot of fulfillment and actually getting the affirmation of people as we minister to them. And then, you know, as you get older and as your kids get a little older, the cracks begin to appear um, we've done some research and you find there's such pressure. Um, Barna did a study for Living on the Edge, which um, that's where I teach. And we found that of self-identifying evangelical pastors, I believe the Bible, I'm God's man, I'm God's woman, uh, 50 different denominations, only 21% were ever in the scriptures for themselves other than sermon preparation. Wow. And so I think, I think what you have is if we don't renew our minds, if the word of God is the sword of the spirit, if it's the truth and the truth sets you free. And, and I hope that statistic is way off, but gosh, what, what if 70, 80% of pastors haven't cultivated a grace oriented refreshing in the scriptures, renewing their mind, taking passages that mean something special to them and, and not memorizing them so they can show off how much they know, but memorizing and meditating where the sense of the truth and the word seeps from their head into our hearts. And, and we have these moments where we recognize if I wasn't a pastor, if I wasn't teaching, if I wasn't counseling, if I wasn't doing these things, um, God's attitude toward me is exactly the same. So I, I think it's a bigger challenge today. And I think some of the family of background issues make it um, even more difficult. And so I think we can get our focus and our fulfillment in ministering to people. And as one of my uh, Prof Hendricks was a, a great mentor, and I remember he would always say, the greatest threat to your ministry is the ministry. Hmm. And I remember thinking, I, I remember when he first said that, 
being the young, brilliant guy that I was, I thought, what's that mean? Right. <laughs> you know, I got no idea. What do you mean? The greatest threat to your ministry is the ministry. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> sounds really profound. And then after about five years, I'm thinking, oh my. Yeah. To pause, to meet with God, to take time for myself, to replenish, to refresh, to put my marriage and family in a priority, to be able to set boundaries and say no. Uh, as someone else has said, the hardest person in the world to lead is yourself. And I don't think we can ever love or lead well until we see ourselves more and more the way God sees us. And that was the point of this book. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to, you know, discovering your true self, I think as pastors and ministry leaders, in, in the back of our minds, we think we better already know what our true self is because... Yeah. We're responsible for helping everyone else discover, right. you know, discover their identity in Christ, and and that can be a hang-up, um, simply because you know we have this sense that we really should have things figured out figured out already. Otherwise, no, one, everyone will think we're a fraud, right? How can pastors move beyond that? What 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 are some you know practical suggestions, some thoughts, some ideas, things that maybe you have done or other pastors you've mentored that really can help you break free from feeling like you've got to have it all together, you have to have this you know this front on at all times to just being open to journeying with people you 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 have so nailed it I'm, I'm, my mind is racing as you are asking that question because it's not just like an answer, it's just like a season of my life. And I can remember living exactly like that. I've got to have it all together and, and the pressure I put on myself. I mean, imagine there's only 35 people and I'm not exaggerating. I worked 85 or 90 hours and usually on Saturday nights, I couldn't even fall asleep because I was so anxious about the message and, and how good it had to be. And, and, and so if you can imagine that person, here was my breakthrough. And, and, and I ended up, it was it happened to be a church about 32 miles outside of Dallas. And it sounds country, and people had pickup trucks and guns in the back of the pickup trucks. But as I got to know him, it was like, this guy owned the Honda dealership and the Yamaha dealership, and he was in gas and oil. This guy owned an insurance company. I mean, it was like six, six or seven key families. Mm-hmm. And they were all very wealthy people. And I was so intimidated. And as I got to know him, um, and... You know, everything doesn't go back to a book, but there's a there's a book by Paul Turnier, Swiss psychologist, translated into English. It's called The Strong and the Weak. And, and I read this book, and basically, they don't even have to read it. The thesis of the book is that everybody, since the fall, is desperately insecure. One group of people, they hide behind strong you know, they, they show it by strong reaction. So they power up, you know, they get loud. They tell you how many people report to them. Look at my car. Look at my stuff. Do you know who I know? They name drop. And, and you know, and, and what happens is they try to intimidate or do intimidate. And so what that keeps people at a distance. The other group have weak reactions. And what they do is they, they're sullen. They're shy. They withdraw. And, and what they do is, you know, you ask them. They might tell them some of their struggles. And the next time you hear the same recording of all the issues or they, or they stay away and withdraw. So they keep a distance. Both are just desperately insecure. Hmm. And I remember reading that book and then, you know, meeting with these super high powered people. And then pretty soon I find out, man, their, their marriage is more messed up than me. <laughs> and then problems with their kids. And then, and then, I mean, I just thought these people 
I was intimidated by him. They are absolutely, they're, they're as messed up as me. And I'll never forget, the light came on and I just thought, you know something, if they're insecure and I'm insecure and I'm putting on a front and they're putting on a front, you know what? I think I'm not going to play this game anymore. <laughs> and part of, I think people would say, you know, my teaching is pretty vulnerable. That is what came out of it. What I realized was if, if okay, we're men and, and women too, but especially men, are we going to struggle with lust? Yes. Are we going to worry about finances? Yes. Do we all feel fearful about raising our kids? Yes. Um, do we all compare ourselves with other pastors at pastor's conferences? Yes. Well, okay. All right. Let's just get that junk out on the table. Let's talk honestly about it and let's make progress and let's just be who we are. Hmm. And what I, it, it, it was literally, uh, all I can tell you, Jason, it was like 10,000 pounds went off my shoulder. And, and this, this will date me, but I remember our, our, our little radio ministry started to grow and it was getting bigger and bigger. And I got invited to, you know, it's like the national religious broadcaster. And there was a, a special um, dinner. And I looked around the room and it was anybody who was anybody on radio at the time. You know, they're, you know Swindoll and, you know, all, all the big, big names when, when I was coming up. And of all places, they sit me next to Chuck Swindoll. And, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm like, I don't know, 38, 40 years old, and he's, you know, in his super prime, you know, I don't know what he was, maybe 60 at the time or something. And I'm sitting there thinking, I, I, I'm looking around the room, just all those feelings. I mean, insecure, but I've read that book and I've been practicing it. And so I'm thinking, uh, Dr. Swindoll, uh, Mr. Swindoll, excuse me, sir. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to do. And then, and then, and it's like the Spirit of God said, Chip, it's just the same as in that little church with those rich people. Hmm. And we sat next to him and I tapped him on the shoulder and, and, and he turned to me. I said, excuse me, Mr. Swindoll, I don't know what to call you, but can I tell you something? I'm absolutely overwhelmed and intimidated in this room. And, you know, we're only on like five or six or 10 stations. I don't know really what I'm doing. If you could be of some help, it would, I'd really appreciate it. And I'll never forget the smile went across his face. He pushed back his chair. He got next to me, put his arm around me, and looked at me in the eye and said, ah, Chip, it's great to have you here. Now, tell me a little bit about, and I mean, every wow. year I went to that dinner, probably for eight or nine years, every year he would come up, tell me what's going on. Now, here's what's probably going to happen in the next year or two. And just by admitting I was afraid, mm. I'm insecure, I don't know what to do, instead of pushing people away, it often, I mean, just ask yourself, those, every, every pastor, church leader who's listening right now, just ask yourself, when you sit down next to someone and they come off like they've got it all together, or maybe they don't like you, you know, that's what we feel, like when they're so quiet or they won't even make eye contact, how do you feel? Compared to if someone turned to you and just said, wow, you know, I'm kind of struggling with, or here's an issue, I am drawn to people that are open and real, and I'm honestly repelled by people that, especially if I think they're putting it on. Right. So, you know, hey, here's the deal. Let's take off our mask. We're commanded to anyway, right? Yeah. Let love be without hypocrisy, Romans 12. And that word for hypocrisy is the Greek word used for the mask in the Greek theater. Um, and, and you know what I found is, wow, life gets a lot easier because 
there's not another pastor, another man, another woman, another person that isn't, they got all the same issues we do. So let's help each other. Yeah, that's excellent. Love it. That's golden, brother. That's golden. Thank you for sharing that with us. And your book, Discover Your True Self, is one of those books that, like you said, it, it goes through Ephesians, looks deeply into Ephesians, reflects back on those struggles, those questions that we're wrestling with, and helps us find, um, you know, kind of the heart of, of God's word and, and answer to each of those. And certainly appreciate the book, brother. Certainly appreciate you being with us on the podcast once again and speaking wisdom to us as we are all on this journey to serve mm-hmm. God, to serve his church. And as, as we've talked to Chippy and I, you know, these are challenging times right now mm-hmm. um, for everybody and, and definitely challenging times uh, for pastors. So thank you for all that you do to help equip the church and to help encourage pastors. And we always appreciate having you with us. Well, I mean it. Thank you, Jason. It's a it's a privilege, and my my heart goes out to fellow pastors and church leaders. It's a really challenging time, and yet, um, as pastors and church leaders go, so go the church, and as the church goes, so goes you know the community in our country. So, mm-hmm. there's never been a time to trust God, step up, step out, and it is a challenge. But um, He who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond whatever we could ask or think dwells in us and uh, we can keep pressing ahead together. So thanks so much. Amen. Thank you, brother. And we'll have links for our listeners to um, Chip's new book and uh, to his ministry. And you guys can check those out in the show notes. So thank you, Chip, for being with us. God bless you, my friend. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. We hope you are finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we would appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcast so they can benefit as well. Thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send an email to podcasts at churchleaders.com or connect with me on Twitter. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app, available for both Apple and Android. So be sure to check out Faith Play. Until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.